Welcome to the Search for Truth podcast, where we take a look at the Word of God and its authentic application to our lives. I'm Pastor Young, and in our daily Bible studies, we will ask the question, what is truth? Where do I fit in the story? And what is God saying to the church? So grab a Bible and enjoy. Word up! Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Search for Truth podcast. I'm Pastor Young, and uh, man, it feels like I've been gone forever. Uh, I apologize if you've been waiting for uh, you know the next episode. There's been just some crazy stuff. Uh, it's, it's, it's been a, a crazy schedule, but God has been so good to us. Um, I, I want to let everybody know the reason why... Um, some uploads have been shifted uh, regarding the days. Uh, as maybe you know or maybe you don't know, I'm uh, full-time here uh, at First Pentecostal Church in Wichita as uh, one of the pastors on staff. And my primary job description uh, is to knock doors, do outreach, uh, find people uh, who are hungry for the Lord, and mainly teach Bible studies, home Bible studies. And uh, previously I was recording uh, Tuesdays at four, and so typically they would post uh, episodes would post around I don't know Tuesday eight nine p.m. or so. Um, but I thankfully I added a new Bible study. So shout out to Byron if you're listening. Hopefully he's uh, tuning in. Um, but anyways, I got a new Bible study that uh, that was scheduled during the time that I normally would record. So. I'm playing around with my schedule. I will at least get one episode a week up, um, and uh, just please be patient with me as I try to figure all of this out, but a soul is going to come first. Uh, even before this podcast, as much as I love it, uh, a soul is going to come first. A Bible study is going to come first. So um, this reminds me that uh, we aired our first episode of Over- Overcoming today uh, with my wife. Uh, last Friday. I've gotten a lot of uh, really awesome feedback on that. Turns out uh, people really, really liked the way that she uh, presented that uh, passage, and there is more to come. Uh, look for weekly uh, weekly posts from her as well. And uh, anyways, also don't forget to check out uh, our friends podcast our brothers podcast um, the steadfast devotional podcast with John Calvin Chance and uh, brother Trey Cornwell uh, these are two awesome awesome guys that are sharing the gospel doing a great job and uh, I'm also so excited uh, because brother Nathan Beeler is about to begin a new season of the uplift podcast uh, make sure that you go and check out the uplift podcast brother Nathan is um, you know, there's there's a lot of podcasts out there that will that will challenge you, that will convict you, step on your toes, and all of that kind of stuff. And many would say that this one, uh, Search for Truth, is probably one of those. Uh, I try not to hold any punches, and I try to give it to you that just exactly the way it is. Brother Nathan Beeler has such a great way of also giving you how it is, but you leave that uh, edified and encouraged. So if you're looking for a podcast that's going to encourage you, inspire you, 
uh, you know, show you these awesome testimonies. And uh, he's doing some really cool stuff with the next season he's talked to me about. Um, anyways, check out the Uplift podcast. So let's get out our Bibles and let's get to work today. Um, we have, we've come a long way in discussing um, the frailty regarding the Trinitarian doctrine and how uh, the Bible scripture supports uh, that there is one God uh, and uh, only one center of consciousness, only one personality. It is one identity, one God. Um, I, uh, I, I do want to give you just a little bit of background on uh, kind of the Trinitarian controversy. Uh, that's what it was called by Brother David Bernard. Um, and this is, this is that this is a man-made doctrine. Um, I, I, I want it to be clear again. I try to, you know, give us, give us a little, um, give us a little caveat with every episode that, uh, I'm not targeting any people, any person. Um, I have nothing but love towards, uh, all of my Christian brothers and sisters. I'm thankful. I'm thankful for wherever you are, uh, in your journey towards the Lord, uh, but the Bible says, you know, that, that those that seek the truth, they're going to find it. And uh, so I, I believe that if your heart is right and if you're searching for the truth, uh, like this podcast is named after, that uh, that's going to lead to you finding it. And, and I pray for everybody that's listening to this. Um, so I'm not targeting an, an individual, a, an organization, a denomination or anything like this. Uh, I, I, but I am uh, I'm commanded by the Lord to speak truth. And whenever truth, uh, there cannot be two truths that are completely separate from one another. Uh, there, there can only be one truth when it comes to the gospel. And so uh, we're going to stand flat-footed. We're going to stand with our shoulders back, our chest out, and we're going to say exactly the way it is. Uh, oneness started all the way from the beginning. Uh, the Lord announced that He is one to Israel. This became their uh, their prayer, that uh, their trademark, so to speak, um, all of the other. Think about this, okay? God wanted them to be separate from everyone else. God wanted them to be unique, right? I'm talking about the Jews in the Old Testament. God wanted them to be different from all the other tribes, all the other people. Uh, the Lord gave them these laws uh, through Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy. And uh, where many critics of the Bible fail to realize that there's a difference between laws that God gave the Jews for ceremonial purposes, for uh, customary purposes, uh, and then there were those that God gave uh, to across all mankind as moral laws. Um, but that's, that's another podcast for another episode, and uh, maybe I need to spend some time on that. But anyways, the Lord gave them all of these laws and all of these principles to make sure that they did not blend in with the world, to make sure that they were not like the Canaanites, that they were not like the Hittites or the Perizzites or the Jebusites or the Jibbalites. And uh, anyways, God, God wanted to make sure that they were different. And the one thing that the Lord could, could assure himself, well, this will set you apart from all others right from the get-go, and that is, there's only going to be one God that you worship. You, you got to get this, guys, that this was principle. This was, a, this was a foundational principle for the Israelites in the Old Testament. The Lord was saying in Deuteronomy 6 and 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, right? We've gone through that before, but 
do you realize that that was not just God uh, making some you know, bold but vague statement about himself. This was the Lord establishing them as a people saying to them, you're not going to be like the Egyptians that serve this massive hierarchy of gods. You're not going to be like the Babylonians you know, that, that have all of these different gods. You're not going to be like uh, the people out in India. You're not going to be like the people that are uh, you know, across these plains you know, serving Molech and, and serving Baal and serving Ishtaroth and, and serving uh, the... You're not going to be like the Greeks you know, that have a mountain full of gods. And you're not going to be like the Romans who just copy the Greeks' gods and and give them other names. The one thing that can immediately separate you from all of the rest, the one thing that can show that this is a narrow way and few there be which find it. If, if, if your doctrine lines up with the broad way okay, that many, therein, many walk therein, then you, you probably need to back up and ask yourself, wait a second. How often is it that the crowd was correct and the remnant was wrong? How often was it? Okay, think about this. How I want you to think about how many times it was that the, all the tribes of Israel was right, the big crowd, and Moses was wrong, the little crowd. Think about how many times the multitudes were right uh, the big crowd, and how many times the disciples were wrong, or that Jesus was wrong. That you see, what the point I'm making here is that the Bible is set up kind of in this pattern, where uh, the truth dies in the majority. The truth dies, uh, you know, in the big crowds, but the truth prevails whenever it is just a remnant. I think about Jesus, you know, talking about, uh, you know, except you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you will have no part in me. John 6 and 66, right? 666, oh. Uh, and, and it says that day, many of his disciples left him. And uh, he turns to Peter, he turns to you know, his crew, and he says, what are you gonna do? Are you gonna also leave? And they said, Master, where, where would we go? They said, you alone have the words of eternal life. You, you're the only one that has the secrets that we need to hear. You're the, you're the only one that has this revelation. And so you notice that the multitudes, the crowds will begin departing from the truth because the thing about the truth is that the truth does not care about your numbers. The truth does not care about your attendance. The truth does not care about the crowd. The truth just stands typically alone. And so, uh, again, if, if, if your doctrine follows what the vast majority of everybody else follows, you, you might want to examine this and, and say to yourself, wait a second, am I holding on to the truth or am I holding on to the crowds? Well, this is what brings us to the creation of the Trinitarian doctrine, okay? It is, it's too difficult uh, for Christianity uh, to follow this uh, principle of oneness because just like the Lord gave this as a principle to the Jews to separate them, to make them, uh, you know, to make them unique, 
to give them a, uh, a uniquely beautiful identity to say that unlike everybody else that says there are multiple gods, what is going to define you from the get-go? First commandment that there is in the Ten Commandments, thou shalt have no other gods before me. That doesn't mean before me in order, although it counts that way too, but before me is more than just order. Before me is around me, near me, don't like as in standing before God. Uh, don't have any idols, don't have any other gods that you're worshiping uh, anywhere close to me. The Lord was establishing himself as being unique to say, I am one. And this is going to make you different from everybody else, from all the other tribes and all the other nations. They serve the majority. They serve uh, a great, a, a great number, you know, a great number of gods. But you are going to serve one. Well, this is this is what makes the Jews unique. And uh, this was one of the most difficult things that they fought to preserve about themselves. Uh, and so. Uh, you know, all through the years and through the Old Testament, we see that that the big fight was uh, was really a showdown uh, over the oneness of God over and over in uh, among the Jews. And every time that the Jews would drift into chaos or drift into sin or drift into these bad habits or drift into carnality, every time that they drifted in that direction away from God, they would drift towards other gods to where, you know, it's not necessarily that they would replace God, but that they would add gods around him. Uh, they, they never removed God from his place. They just, they just gave him company. And so God did not like that, right? We see over and over that like in the book of Hosea and uh, some of the minor prophets, the Lord chastises Israel and says, you are an adulterous people. Why? Because you've worshiped these other gods alongside of worshiping me. It's not that you got rid of me, but it was that you added others alongside me. And this is why the Lord speaks out over and over and over. Beside me, there is nobody else. Beside, there is no one beside me. There's nobody, there's nobody like me. Now, this created, I'm going to say this one more time, this created their unique identity that they serve one God. It made them stand out and it isolated them. It made them irrelevant. It made them, uh, according to the crowds is what I'm saying, it made them. Uh, it made them the weirdos, you know. And so, likewise, those of us that have stood for the oneness of God are, have been in the same exact predicament in the New Testament. We have to grapple with with uh, the question of: Am I going to run with the crowds that says that there's three? Am I going to run with the crowds, you know, that says that there's nine? Am I going to run with those, you know, that say God could be, you know, God could be 55 or God could be 180 or whatever? in the Godhead, or am I going to be a weirdo and I'm going to stand fast, you know, have a, have a straight backbone uh, and stand firmly on the Word of God in the face of the majority and say to them, you have listened to the wrong voices. You, you, have, uh, you have listened to those that have demanded you to compromise and add those other gods alongside of God. And by the way, this is probably a good moment for me to talk about idolatry uh, in the church, idolatry in Christianity, idolatry in America. Uh, you, you better believe that the Lord, uh, the Lord is going to closely examine our altars, 
okay? The, as we're praying for revival, as we're praying for uh, outpouring, as we're praying for increase, the Lord is going to begin examining our altars. And you better make sure that you don't have an altar erected to God next to an altar that you have erected to pornography or next to an altar that you've erected to uh, social media or next to the altar that you've erected for your finances, your money. Or uh, Listen, this is a lot more than just Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, but there are some that are serving Jesus, porn, and money. There are some that, you know, your trinity doesn't look like the others, but you're still serving more than one God. The Lord is, 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 is giving us a laser focus right now. If I'm going to give you what you've been praying for, You've got to give me what I have commanded, and that is recognize my sovereignty. Recognize that there's nobody beside me. Recognize that every knee will bow before me, right? Conf every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord over all, right? He is the Lord over all. And so what we have here is uh, the invention of the Trinitarian doctrine. This occurred in 325 AD. That's right, 325 AD. This group of uh, theologians, this group of religious people got together in 325 AD, 300 years after the ministry of Jesus, 300 years after, uh, after the ministry uh, that, that we read about in the Gospels, uh, the, there are no apostles that are living right now. There are no, uh, none of the original 12, I, I think this is obvious to say, but I'm just trying to, you know, give you some context here. There, there are none of the original 12, uh, I'm, I'm counting Matthias there, if you're wondering. I, I know you might be like, what, 12? Judas was one of those. But there were, there were none of the original 12. There were, Paul was long gone. And what we have is we have multiple generations now have passed and the truth is becoming muddled, okay? Uh, the truth of, of the New Testament, the truth of the book of Acts, the truth of biblical uh, salvation, of, of what it looks like to be born again of water and the Spirit, uh, these things became, became very muddy. And I also want you to realize and recognize, okay, that they are preaching not in America, but they're preaching in Asia, and they're preaching in Greece, and they're preaching in Rome. And by the way, remember, remember the pressure that they were under preaching in Rome. Think about this, okay? How do you preach that there is only one God and His name is Jesus among a group of converts who have come out of believing that there are multiple, multiple gods, right? And so I, I hope you can start to see how how uh, the, there was great pressure that was mounting. And you know, if if you if you maybe maybe what we should do in order to get our numbers, you know, maybe what we should do if it is going to preserve our life, it's if it's going to keep me from being transported to the Roman Colosseum, you know, and being killed by gladiators, maybe what I should do is back off of this whole Jesus thing, and I will kind of blend the gospel of Christ with some of with some of their ideology that already exists. For instance, I could just say that Jesus is one of many or that Jesus is one of three. 
And so many of these early churches, I, I say early just because they're still in that, you know, baby church realm or whatever, 325. And uh, by the way, this is what this is what foreshadows the dark ages. Uh, I just just think that's interesting. But anyways, we've got 325 AD, and these these people begin to preach. The uh, some are preaching that God is you know seven gods, and uh, they're blending it with that Roman ideology. Some some are preaching you know that that Jesus is a lot like Zeus or that Jesus is a lot like Odin or Jesus is a lot, you know, depending on what their audience is. They're, they're beginning to tailor this by the pressure, by the crowds, by the relevance, by, uh, you know, by, by just this intense social pressure. And so, because we don't want to be different. We, we want to be like everybody else. We want to be relevant. We want, but, but we also want salvation. So how do we get both? How do we blend in with the crowd and still go to heaven? How do I make sure that I don't have to sacrifice, you know, and, and I don't have to consecrate and I don't have to fast and I don't have to be different from anybody else, but I still get all the benefits of living for God. And so they're trying to walk this line. They're trying to do the same thing that Eve was trying in the garden. How do I eat the fruit, but still, uh, you know, thou shalt not surely die? How, how, do I, how do I get the best of both? How do I, um, you know, how do I uh, get free from my bondage and free from my slavery, but still eat the flesh pots of Egypt? That, that's, it's, it's always been the issue. You know, you want the best of both worlds. Uh, we want eternal inheritance, but we want... Uh, earthly security, you know, so so how do I do that? Well, the only way to do that is to compromise the truth because the truth will lead you away from the Egyptian flesh pots. The truth will lead you away from that fruit of that tree that, that God has commanded you not to eat. The fruit will lead you away from those false gods and false idols. But the problem is the truth will isolate you and the truth will make you a weirdo and the truth will make you uh, the only person at your school that lives this way. The truth will make you the only person that lives in your family this way. The truth will make you the only person that lives you know, in, in your neighborhood this way. The truth will isolate you. And the folks in, in, uh, the, in 325 that were preaching Christianity, many of them, many of them had, had begun to muddle the truth and blend it for the sake of relevance and blend it, uh, you know, for the sake of uh, 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 self-preservation. You know, don't persecute me. You see, I'm, I'm like you. I, I, you know, I'm not going to stand for anything. I'm, I'm just going to try to get the best of both worlds. I'm not really bad, but I'm also not really good. And, you know, what we call relevant, the Lord typically calls lukewarm and it causes God to vomit. You ever wonder how Laodicea got where it was? And this is, by the way, this is way before uh, 325 AD. So imagine what happens if Laodicea doesn't repent and we give it, you know, hundreds of years later. Imagine where this spits us out in the early church in 325. Now there were some, history tells us, that held on to Jesus' name baptism, that Jesus, you know, preaching that God is only one, preaching the oneness of God and etc. But that there, the vast majority, here we are with this principle here, majority, majority drowns the truth out. And what happens is they, uh, the early church called for a meeting of many of the elders. And they said, listen, the problem is we've got all these different things that we're preaching. They said, we, we've, we're preaching, you know, some are preaching that he's three, some, some preaching that he's eight, some are preaching that God is nine, some people, they're still preaching that God is one. 
So what are we to do with this? And by now, by the way, just want to let you know, the Jews would have never gone with this whole God is a multiple thing because as I recorded very early in the season, God has always been one. He was one from the beginning. And if God does not change, then he must be one all the way through. The Jews would have never gone with this. But the problem is in the year 70 AD, Jerusalem was sacked by Rome. They fi Rome finally got tired of, of the Jews uh, resisting, you know, and the Jews trying to bounce back, and the the Jews trying to gain their independence, or the Jews, uh, you know, fighting against the the taxation or whatever. And uh, Rome finally came in, flexed its muscles, and just demolished Jerusalem in in AD 70. And the Jews were dispersed. This is called diaspora. The Jews were, were spread out all across these different lands, even worse than they ever were before. And so the Jewish population was really suffering in the early church uh, after uh, post like AD 70. And so by the time we get, again, by the time we get to 325 AD, the Jewish presence in the early church was actually quite diminished. And this, if you'll notice nowadays even, uh, you know, Jewish Christians are few and far between, right? So even now. Uh, so so what, what we're left with is we're left with a bunch of Greeks and we're left with a bunch of Romans and we're left with, you know, uh, all of these people in Asia and we're left with people whose only background was never rooted in oneness like the Jews were. But we're left with these people who their background, their only perception of God has only ever been that God, or that God is one among many. And so in this council meeting, they said, look, we have got to standardize what we preach. We've got to make sure that we preach the same thing. We've got to make sure that, that, we, that we create a doctrine that we can stick with. And so in the Council of Nicaea, 325 AD, this is where the Trinitarian doctrine was really born. It was not born in Scripture. That's why Scripture never mentions that there are three. This is why Scripture never mentions it. Ne have you noticed that it, it calls Jesus the Son of God, but Scripture never calls him God the Son? You ever notice that? Okay, because these things have been created by man and then they have been passed down from generation to generation to generation, split out of the Catholic Church into all of these other denominations. And where Pentecost comes in is we decided that we wanted to ret return that we would embrace being the weirdos, that we would embrace being the freaks and being the outcasts. Call us holy rollers. They stoned those that came before us. They they would wait outside of their tent revivals and throw rotten fruit at them. I've, I've read about men of God that, that came and set up brush arbor revivals and, and men that would wait on the tailgates of their truck, wait on them to get done preaching, and by the end they would try to string them up and hang them from a tree just outside of where they preached. I know about men of God that were beaten, bloody, bruised by the end of their revivals, but they decided, I'm willing, I'm willing to be different. I'm willing to be a weirdo. I'm willing to be, uh, like David said, you know, I'm, I'm willing to be defi uh, uh, defiled in your eyes. I'm, I'm willing to be debased in your eyes. I, I'll become even more undignified than this because the truth isolates us. The problem is, the problem is, the church now, uh, I, I mean this uh, not, as, not as the oneness church, I mean this as like Christianity itself. Christianity has now you know, it, it's, it's been pulling in the same exact direction that I've been talking about, the same direction of the Jews of the Old Testament. We don't want to be different. 
We don't want to be unique. We don't want to preach anything hard. We don't want to, we don't want to say that you must really repent. You must really change your life. We don't want, because, because that makes us weird. And so much of Christianity today has begun to blend yet some more gospel with the world. How do I, how do I still get to heaven but have premarital sex? Well, what I have to do is I'm, I'm going to have to still love all the, all the modern worship music and still learn how to cry whenever the music is going and, and still say amen to the preacher, but I'm going to stone any preacher that, that speaks against my sin. You know, we can target things that we're not guilty of. We can target things like homosexuality. We can target things, you know, like uh, like abortion, or we can target things like uh, you know murder, or you know that you know those things that we know that we've not done. But let somebody get up in the pulpit and talk about tithing offering, or let somebody get up in the pulpit and preach on gluttony, or let somebody get up in the pulpit and preach on gossip, uh, and all of a sudden you see the weirdos, the truth isolates you, the truth stands alone. Those are preachers that don't get invited back. <laughs> now, now, what we represent in the oneness movement is a return to scripture and not tradition. This is what I've been saying this entire season, okay? Um, I, there, there, are, there are more Trinitarian arguments that I want to uh, get rid of, okay, that I want to cover. And uh, if you'll bear with me, if you'll bear with me, I, I'd like to just hit them, uh, you know, before I get out today. I know I'm going a little bit longer today, but this was extremely important for me that I could kind of lay... Well, the foundation and the contrast between you know how man created the Trinitarian argument, uh, the 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 concept of multiple gods in the Godhead, and all of that uh, versus what Scripture says about oneness. the The number one thing that I want you to uh, focus on here as we're moving forward, because we're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about one really difficult um, passage that uh, that people wrestle with in uh, in oneness view of scripture uh, and there's uh, let's see I'm trying to pull it up right now uh, Matthew chapter 3 this is uh, this is just one recording of it okay um, Matthew chapter 3 tells the story about Jesus uh, being baptized and there's a lot of folks that wrestle with this why was Jesus baptized and all of that I will get to that at the end of this season I have a special episode that I want to record that will, that will not just explain the oneness of it all, but it will also explain the custom about why Jesus uh, was baptized. Matthew 3, 13 through 17. Let's, let's take this apart, okay? 13. It says, Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now. He said, basically, allow this. For thus it becomes us to fill, fulfill all righteousness. So he suffered him. So Jesus is saying, this is necessary, let's do it. So they did it. Verse 16, And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Now, uh, there are many that, that would hold fast to this and they say, boom, right here, gotcha. This is 
uh, proof, you know, that there are three. We've got, we've got Jesus that is going under the water, coming up. We've got uh, the Spirit descending like a dove and lighting upon Him. And then we've got a voice. And so there, there are a lot of folks that would say, you know, you've got the Son that's been baptized. You've got the Father that, that speaks, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And then you've got the Spirit that lights upon Him like a dove. It's interesting how uh, the, the conversation immediately starts to break down whenever you bring up something that I did in a previous episode, and that is, doesn't it say that the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, is the one that overshadowed Mary? And so if the Father, being separate from the Dove, the Holy Ghost, this representation of the Holy Ghost, then what it would really be is, is that the Holy Spirit, being the Father, descended upon him like a dove, and then we don't know who the voice is because, uh, you know, right? Oh, well, I guess what that would force this to be is that the Holy Spirit spoke from heaven and said, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. See, that would line up a little better with Scripture if that was the Holy Spirit that spoke that. But, but now, what about the dove? Well, if, 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 and by the way, in another gospel, it says the Holy Spirit, like a dove, descended upon him. So we know that the dove was, was a representation of the Holy Spirit. The problem is then there's no place for the Father. Because remember, the Father, if he's separate, was not the one that overshadowed Mary. It was the Holy Spirit. So this at most leaves us with two, the Son and the Holy Spirit, right? Or, or you can look at the entire rest of the Bible. <laughs> well, man, what if we did that? What if we looked at all of Scripture and we realized that God has this way of presenting himself to people in these different forms, right? <laughs> and that this does not mean ever in Scripture that there's a multiple of gods, but rather that God is showing himself the same God in other ways or in many ways so that we can understand him. You have to, you have to back up and get some context as to why Jesus was even there in the first place. Jesus was standing in the multitude and John calls him out. John points towards Jesus and says, hey, behold the Lamb of God which comes to take away the sins of the world. Now, what he has so far is he's got John's endorsement. Now that's good and all, okay? That, that would go a little ways because John had quite the following. Uh, John had John had a great multitude that would follow him and listen to him preach. So just John alone saying, this is the one that I've been preaching about. This is the one that I've been talking about. That would go a little ways towards Jesus's um, reception, you know, as Messiah or Jesus's, uh, you know, to make way for Jesus. John's, John is the one that said, I must decrease so that he might increase. And John was not just saying my desires must decrease or my will must decrease, but he was also saying my popularity must decrease to give him room for his celebrity, to give him room for his impact and his influence. And so, you know, that would have, that would have gone a little ways, but the problem is John is just a man, right? So, uh, have you, I don't know if you've ever read uh, any of these books that discuss uh, the concept of people claiming to be Messiah, but did you know that Jesus was not the first person to say to the Jews, I am he, right? I'm the one that you've been waiting on. Jesus was certainly not the first person that somebody else, uh, you know, pointed to and said, this is the lamb or this is the Messiah. This is the one we've been waiting on. There were many others that came even before Jesus got there and after Jesus uh, ascended 
that claimed to be the Messiah. What separated Jesus, though, and what made the multitudes take pause is now we have not just man that has endorsed that, that this really is God in the flesh, but now we have the Spirit of God that has spoken on His behalf, that has lit upon Him as a dove, and has endorsed the ministry of Jesus saying, this is Him. You see, the others that claimed to be the Messiah, they never had, they had the witness of man many times, but they never had the witness of God. And if you look at the entire council of Scripture and you look back at the Old Testament, what you'll see typically with a king or with a priest or whatever is their custom was that there has to be an anointing of, the, of, the, of God and there has to be anointing of the people or of man. Jesus received both of these things at this point, right? To, to move forward in his ministry, to be received by anybody uh, to say, this is, this is a man of God or this is God wrapped in flesh himself. This, this is somebody that is profoundly anointed because they have been just like all the prophets of old, just like the priests of old. They've not just gotten the witness of man, but they've got now the witness of God. So let's get back to the topic, is this multiple gods here? Not if we're looking at the council of Scripture, not if we're looking at all of Scripture. What you, what you see is, okay, let me take you to another place in the Old Testament while I'll use this as a comparison. Exodus chapter 19. I, man, in my personal Bible study, I have just been stuck on Exodus 19. Uh, I'm preparing a message uh, to preach this uh, uh, who knows when I'll preach it, but I, the Lord has really been, really been working on me with Exodus 19. So go there with me, Exodus 19, and we'll start in verse 18. The Lord has called the, the Israelites out of Egypt. He has brought them to the mountain. He's preparing to give them the Ten Commandments, which he will introduce, first of all, you shall have no other gods before me. Uh, but in this moment, the Lord is choosing how he shows himself uh, before the Israelites. Okay? Remember, remember that whenever Jesus was baptized and we have this, the voice from heaven, we have the dove or the spirit ascend, descending like a dove, Jesus under the water. These are all, this is all just a, a, re, a repeat, you know. A, the Lord has chosen over and over to show himself to his people in many different ways. Uh, whether it be, you know, representation of an angel. You know, have you ever, there's, there's this debate that nobody's having really, but still it's, it's worth bringing up as to, did Jacob wrestle with an angel or did re Jacob wrestle with God himself, right? I mean, sometimes we tell the story that Jacob wrestled with an angel. Sometimes we tell the story that, that Jacob wrestled with God. And I, I think Jacob kind of feels like he wrestled with God. Um, but if you look at the scripture, it says there he wrestled with a man, right? Oh, wow. Maybe this is another God. Or, or if we consult all of scripture, we, see, we start to see this pattern that God can choose how he wants to reveal himself to his people, right? Uh, well, Ezekiel, Ezekiel saw, you know, the, the wheel in the middle of the wheel and he saw, you know, all of these eyeballs and, and he saw all of these crazy things. So, so does that mean that there's yet another God that Ezekiel saw? No, no. If you look at all of scripture, you see, again, God is setting up this pattern, you know, of I, I will, 
I can reveal myself to you however I want, you know, this is, but it doesn't change who I am. The me putting on different clothes and coming out or me putting on, uh, you know, a, a, a wig and coming out or me, uh, you know, getting a different haircut, you know, or, or whatever me, uh, deciding to deciding to, to walk out of a different entrance or me, you know, coming out, standing on my head. This does not change who I am. It just changes how you perceive me. You see? So likewise here, okay, Exodus 19, the Lord is saying, I want to come down and I want to show myself to the people. Okay. Uh, it says in verse 18, and Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke. Okay. So we got smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. We got fire and the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace and the whole Mount quaked greatly. So we've got an earthquake, by the way. This ought to remind you of Elijah's experience with the Lord as well, but that's a different lesson. And when the voice of the trumpet sounded loud, so, so far we've got smoke, fire, earthquake, trumpet, okay? When that trumpet sounded louder, long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spake and God answered him by a voice. Now we have a voice. And the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mountain. The Lord called Moses up to the top of the mountain and Moses went up. Okay. Now, this is the Lord revealing himself for all the people to see, okay? And what do we have? We have smoke, one. We have fire, two. We have earthquake, three. We have trumpet, four. And we have a voice, that's five. But nobody, nobody goes to this passage and points us out saying this is proof that there are five gods. Well, wait a second. Using the logic that many Trinitarians use by this Jesus' baptism section or whatever, uh, that should prove to us that there are five gods. Well, hey, you better buckle up if you ever read the book of Revelation, because in the book of Revelation, he's the high priest, one. He's the lamb that was slain, two. He's the one that sits upon the throne, three. He's the Lord of lords, four. He's the king of kings, five. He's the alpha, six. He's the omega, seven. He's the beginning, eight. He's the ending. Uh, nine, he's the first. Ten, he's the last. Eleven, you realize in the book of Revelation, he's portrayed as a man. Twelve, he's portrayed as a lion. Thirteen, he's portrayed as an eagle. Fourteen, he's portrayed as an ox. Fifteen, do I need to keep going? So according to the book of Reve Revelation, using the same logic as the Trinitarians use with Jesus' baptism, there must be 15 gods just found in the book of Revelation. Or, we can use the entire counsel of Scripture and realize that God will reveal Himself to confirm His prophets or confirm the men of God or confirm Jesus, to confirm Him, Himself, to separate Him from everybody else, to give Him the witness of man and the witness of God, and that the Lord can choose how, those, how He shows Himself to us throughout Scripture. You see, you've got to allow Scripture to let you separate yourselves from the crowds. Let Scripture, let truth isolate you. Lean into that. Don't lean away from it. Be willing to be the weirdos because guess what? It was the weirdos that were used of God so greatly. It was the weirdos. It was the ones that did not fit in that, that God did the most through. 
it was it's interesting how the Lord did not show up in the fiery furnace for all of those that bowed but for those those three weirdos that decided we will not bow before your idols we will not be cautious or careful how we answer you O king but we know that God is able to deliver us out of the fiery furnace and if not we still will not bow before your idol that is the attitude that the truth will give you to say, I'm not going to blend in with the crowds. I'm not going to preach the same message just because it's popular. I am going to stand for what is truth. And the Bible says, let God be true and every man a liar. God is not a man that he should lie. You see, it, there's going to be, there's going to come this dividing line and there's going to be this, these moments that are crossroads in your life and you're going to have to decide whether you want to be a part of the crowd, whether you want to be relevant, whether you want to be popular, whether you want to be accepted or whether you are willing to be isolated, willing to be the weirdo and willing to be in the minority. But it means I am standing firm on the truth of God's word. I know that he is one and he can reveal himself to me however he wants. I know that he is one God because he's always been one. Guys, I hope that this has blessed you. Uh, I, I, I hope that this is helping you and, and helping, uh, you know, confirm what scripture has said already, you know, confirm. I'm, I'm not, I'm not adding anything. I'm not, uh, I'm not creating anything. What I, all I'm doing is I'm trying to edify, uh, the people towards what scripture already says. We just have to use the entirety of scripture and not just a verse here and there. All right. I love all of you. I will see you next week for another awesome episode. Be sure to be looking out for overcoming today with my beautiful, amazing, sweetness wife, Katie Young. I'll talk to you later, guys. God bless you. Bye.